Hello and welcome to Eve Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about Corsage, which is a period drama um, set in the life of Empress Elizabeth of Austria. And you were telling me before, the f- you said to me, do you know anything about this film? I said, well, I'd heard this and I'd seen some comparisons with Marie Antoinette, directed by Sofia Coppola in 2006. The, but, the films but, are nothing unlike. I didn't know very much, though, about it and I, and I don't think I'd heard particularly of um, Cece. So yes, and I was telling you that this is maybe you know one of the many many ways in which kind of British culture is uh, unaware and uninvolved with uh, you know continental European culture because I think across Europe you know people of my generation and actually maybe even people thirty and forty years younger have grown up with the sissy films they were like a kind of a sociological phenomenon they were like a, a type of Disney thing or, or the Wizard of Oz or something like that. They were on TV all the time, and everybody grew up with them. You know, they start a teenage Romy Schneider. Uh, it's the films that made her a huge star. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Romy Schneider reprised the role uh, for Visconti's Ludwig from the early 1970s with uh, Helmut Berger playing Ludwig, who also appears in Corsage, the, the character, the, the king of Bavaria, mm. Ludwig, not uh, Helmut Berger, obviously, and of course, and there's also a Netflix uh, television series which I kind of tried and didn't get on with, and I let it. So she's just kind of an iconic figure across the continent. If you go to Vienna, everything is sissy. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I went there with Nikki. We went to Hofburg Palace, which is you know, uh, one of the locations uh, for the film. And, you know, she's someone who was seen as very stylish and very elegant and very modern and kind of lonely and sad and so on. So she's kind of an iconic figure, Mm. an endless, you know, source of fascination to some, including me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, she was uh, Empress of Austria and also Queen of Hungary when the Dual Kingdom of Austria-Hungary came into being in 1867. This film is set 10 years after that on her 40th birthday. It starts on her 40th birthday in um, 1877. Mm. And then we essentially see a year of her life. And it's a year in which she's she's someone for whom beauty is very important. And the way in which she's seen is very important. Her job, essentially, is to bear heirs to the throne and be seen. Yeah, to represent. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and hitting 40... Um, that's well. Both parts come into focus. You know, she says at one point, "I'm too old for another child," and focus on how she's seen her beauty, um, what she thinks of how she's seen, and that sort of thing is it's constant throughout mm. the film. It's changing as she gets older. Is it? You know, she, she's she's no longer twenty. Well, there's a line where she says that everything begins to disappear or dissolve after forty. Yeah, yeah that kind of. And there's another line which says. The average age of death in your kingdom is 40. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So women's average, the, the, the age at which average the average woman in the Austro-Hungarian Empire died was 40 in that period. Yeah, so, the doctor tells her that as one of his reassuring, yes. he's constantly telling her things like you should be grateful. She, she's trying to kill herself. At point, I mean, spoiler, I guess. 
Uh, she tries to kill herself at one point, and she winds up with nothing more than a hairline fracture of her calf, I think. Mm. And the doctor says, your good health should be a sign from God of mm. how much he favours you, something along those lines. Yes. And of course, that's not how she sees it. She just tried to kill herself. Mm. Um, he's He's kind of... I suppose he's... To an extent, he's kind of comic relief, uh, you know, because he's kind of out of touch and not getting the point. Mm. Yeah, whereas we know her much more intimately than he apparently does because we're following her around for two hours. We know how she thinks. I really like the film. Everything feels chilly. Uh, everything seems spied upon or seen through a window. You know, there's that recurring image of that empty courtyard in the palace where people leave, basically. You rarely see people coming. Mm. Um so, uh, you know, she's a bulimic. She's constantly weighing herself, eating very little. You know, she's got nothing to do. Uh, the title of the film is, is Corsage, which I initially didn't get, but I looked it up and basically it means corset. Yeah, it's a German word for corset, mm. right? And again, there are all these uh, images of her being corseted in. Yeah, and she asks for it always to be tighter, Right. Uh, so, you know, a corset is something that kind of restricts you, keep you in place. Yeah. Is kind of shapes you and so on, gives a particular appearance, but also like prevents you from breathing. And yeah. Corsage is also um, kind of a floral sort of display, that, like a like something that a woman wears. To, and again, it's, it's, and that's kind of a beauty related thing is to show her off too. Yes, I know. But well, my understanding from just looking it up mm. is that corsage is literally corset in German. Yeah. And this is a German, Austrian, Luxembourgish, French co-production. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of companies involved and a lot of languages being spoken as well. So, mm. um, But I think it's interesting that it also has that meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in it English can also words. mean that. So it can be read in that way. But though it's interesting, you know, because... So as a film unfolds and she gets less and less happy and more and more troubled and she begins to take heroin and it means she can't perform her duties. She gets uh, um, her lady-in-waiting to pretend that she's her for this occasion. And then ironically, her daughter does a, a picture of the event saying, uh, you know, this is as poised as, a, you know, you were really poised, mm. you know, you uh, uh, whilst, uh, whilst doing this. I was very proud of you or something. It's very fitting. She, yeah. yeah. So she, she's a woman who's constantly being judged on how she looks, on her hair, which she then cuts off, on what is fitting and what is not fitting. You know, her husband and her son kind of decide on all of those things. Yeah, and yet she's ostensibly the most powerful woman uh, in the kingdom. So kind of there is a real feminist thesis behind mm. all of this which I think is lovely to see. So she's always surrounded by women. She talks to women and the film doesn't sentimentalize it. She often treats her mates quite poorly, right? So she's not necessarily like, you know, a goody goody person or anything. Mm. Uh, you know, she's suffering, uh, but uh, you get a sense of kind of a complex set of relationships, including her relationship with her husband, which she clearly has affection for, though, you know, clearly, yeah, uh, they're not quite getting on. Um, the scene where she unveils her body, I thought it was amazing. You know, I thought it was so powerful. Mm. Um, so, um, and then when she's, you know, she clearly wants to have sex, but when she says that she doesn't want any more children, it's like the whole thing kind of dissolves. Yeah. So I really loved all of that. Um, 
And the most amazing thing for me in the film was Vicky Creeps, mm. you know, who I just think, you, you know, I mean, people often talk about how, uh, you know, the camera loves some people and it doesn't love others. And it has nothing to do with beauty necessarily. Yeah. You know, because some very unattractive people, you can't take your eyes off them. Right. Mm. I mean, as G. Robinson or people like that. Uh, but in this, I mean, she's both extraordinarily beautiful, I find, and also riveting. You can't stop looking at her, you know, and she's always kind of legible, even in the opaqueness. Yeah, even what is meant, what is meant to be conveyed is contradictory or opaque or, you mm. know, uh, and I just loved looking at her. You know, I thought to me, she was the surprise of Phantom Thread. Yeah, kind of. I don't think I'd seen her. It was the first a lot of people had heard of yeah. her. I mean, yeah. And she was fantastic in that. Uh, and I could really tell why she wanted to play this role. She's a producer in it. Yeah, I believe she was the one who brought the idea to the director. And this film's directed by uh, Marie Kreutzer, written mm-hmm. and directed. And I think they had worked together on something before that, again, I don't think it's been seen very much. Because um, I was reading that the kind of the early life of the Empress has been dramatised quite a bit. And the end of her life as well, she was assassinated, and that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were looking at this, at this, at this, you know, coming into middle age kind of period, mm. um, which I guess no one had, at least they had the impression, no one had really shown much interest in this before, but there was something interesting to be found in it. Well, I think they've certainly made something interesting about it, yeah? About about women and their representation and their their power and their voice or lack thereof, yeah, and how the value, how age kind of uh, incurs a loss of social value, yeah, mm. uh, which, you know, is, is, is tied to how women are really kind of valued largely on their looks, yeah. Mm. Uh, I mean, I think there's a more general point to make about that I think kind of age has that effect on people at all I, I you know I certainly felt that at a certain point I became invisible you mm. know the kind of you'd walk down the street and nobody saw you you know and I think that has to do with age in general so I don't I don't think it's just uh, uh, something that women suffer from though obviously women suffer from it more and in different and particular ways and I think the film kind of really conveys that I think quite powerfully really mm. Um, I didn't get on with it at all. I know. I was Tell me about begging that. for it to end. There's not a lot <laughs> to say, really, because I kind of appreciate everything that you're saying. I'm glad that you liked it so much. Mm. Um, I I found so much of it kind of really one note. Like I can see what you like about Vicky Creep's performance. I wasn't interested in 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 this woman. In this woman, I, I you know, I spent so much of the film going. She's just in a mood all the time. I felt bad for all of her sort of footmen waiting on her all the time, just having to stand in rooms watching her mope. Mm. You know? What a <laughs> life. <laughs> I was... I, and I, I thought this is this is completely plotless. But, you know, that's okay for a film to have very little plot. But there's but, but then the character, the situation, none of it was replacing that. It would give me anything to, to, to grab onto. I felt like it didn't say anything that surprised me or, or showed... Or was insightful. Everything seemed so obvious. I didn't think so. And I thought, and I, I kind of thought that when, you know, people, 
sometimes people say like, oh, I hate foreign films. I hate subtitle films. And and very often you can just dismiss that because they don't really know what they're talking about. But I kind of feel like this is the kind of film that they're talking about or they think they're talking about when they say that. You know, a lot of silences, a lot of people walking into rooms and having very boring conversations. People looking through windows, feeling dispossessed. I really didn't get on with it. I, I did. I liked it. I thought it created like this really wonderful, wintry, sad, foggy mood. Um, Do you think and, it was beautiful? Uh, no. I think kind of a lot more could have... I mean, the, you know, I mm. don't think it's a great film. Don't right. get me wrong. I think a lot more could have been done visually. Mm. Uh, whereas Sofia Coppola's use of the anachronistic was exciting. Yeah, and I loved her use of pop music and it made it lively and, you know, it made it into a teen film and so on. Mm. I thought this just really took me out of the film. When, when they started singing uh, Help Me Make It Through the Night in that f- fake uh, folk kind of... Yeah, they do it in the style of the time. Yeah, it was like, oh, please, that was terrible. Terrible choices. And but, As Tears Go By was another one. Hmm. And then also just, you know, that so much of the score is actually a woman singing pop music, which, I mean, I quite liked it. But it just was really disorientating to me, you know, mm. when it came on, you know. So I didn't like any of that. Um, it didn't seem consistent because there were things that I noticed occasionally, but not consistently enough that I pieced it together as something the film was doing or making something out of. Because then later on, right towards the end, she gets on a boat. And I, and I said to you, this, this boat post didn't look like this at the time. And obviously I hadn't put together that the film had been doing bits of bombs. Because when I think back, it also, they'd been fencing with modern equipment. And not only with that, but in a room which had an illuminated exit sign. You know, so like it's it's complete now. But I did notice uh, electric lights at one point, electric candles. And again, it's not hidden. They're right in the middle of the frame. And I saw, and I did notice them and I went... Did they have those then? <laughs> you know? Well, there, there were but, weird. But it's not. It's not building anything consistent out of it, and I couldn't quite understand why it was doing. Well, there were weird choices, right? So you know, the 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 palace, Hofburg Palace, is very interesting because it's a little bit like the rooms not visible to tourists must look like now. They're all empty. They're empty of hangings. They're empty of paintings. Mm. You see chairs piled up just in front of the Empress's bedroom. Now, you cannot imagine that to have been the case in 1878. No way, Mm. right? And also, King Ludwig's uh, palace, you know, he was famous for having everything over-decorated and camp and gold and chandeliers and turrets. And he would never have slept in a bedroom like that. You know, that it looked like... You know, the plaster was falling and yeah. So I think they, they were maybe giving the impression of something being built, but it actually looked like something in the, in the middle Decay. of a ruin. Do you right? think maybe there's a budgetary thing? Because the film is cheap. Well, cheap. I mean, that's not a bit unfair, but it's low budget, relatively. Eight million euros. Yeah. Um, so I kind of feel like, you know, when she gets on that on that ferry at the end, it's much easier to rent a ferry <laughs> from 2020 yeah, than it is to, to get an odd steamship. Sure. Yeah, and maybe that kind of informs some. No, of but this. I think there was something that was an aesthetic choice about it. Yeah, mm. the sense of temporariness, of decay, of you know things fading and being lost, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. So it does have a relationship to her state of mind. Yeah, but nonetheless. It felt not not fully realized to me, mm. um, and of course, you know, the surprising things was um, 
you know, the, the, the use of cinema, I mean, you know, and I'm sure I'm, I should be shot down for this, but was, was cinema invented in 1878? You it know, was very, I, that character, was he, I, I don't think he was, is he an imagined character, this guy who's introducing cinema? Well, I, I don't know because I don't catch he's, the name. He, he, yeah, he's, um, yeah. but... <laughs> It's. I mean, he's not Edward Mybridge, is he? He's French or one thing. Yeah. And obviously, France did have. But even those, there. I mean, I think Edison and the Lumieres and that's it, Lumiere. He's uh, not. A, he's not a Lumiere brother. Uh, they were all in the at least the eighties and the nineties, right? Yes, eighteen nineties is is when exactly eighteen ninety five. So you know, this felt like. What is the point of that? Of being captured? Of you know? So there's like whole discussion about paintings and photography and cinema. Which it's not—it's both anachronistic and it also felt out of place. I mean, I suppose it has to do with representation, and she certainly makes sure that her painter idealizes her, mm. and she says that you know photography is not objective. Yeah, and of course, you know, we know that about cinema as well. I guess you can create idealized images of all kinds of things, you know. But I and I suppose that ties into the themes of presentation and representation and. Yeah, kind of not being valued for who you are. There, you know, there's also that line in the film, you know, that people are loved for what the one loving wants to see in them, yeah, rather than from whom they are. And there's another line in the film where she tells her lady in waiting, "You're the only one who loves me for who I am," right? Um, so you know, kind of maybe all of those things kind of tie in together, um, but not. Not as poetically or as um, seamlessly mm. as I would have liked to see it. So, you know, for me, it's not a great film, but I do think that it's very much worth seeing. You know, I do think it's a feminist film. It has very interesting things to say, you know, about women at 40. I do think that Vicky Creeps is like somebody like garbo or dietrich or something that you read all these moods in their faces right and the film is much more variegated than you give it credit for mm. right so you see her being very loving with her daughter and you know and with her son and kind of and being you know impatient with her maze and cutting her sister off and you know having this kind of fag hag relationship with ludwig mm. right um fag hag in quotation marks don't sue me uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, I think it's a really incredibly um, complex view of this woman. It's not just her being moody. I think it's just variations on the theme that all comes from this woman who, I think, I think the um, one of the main reasons that that people have been trying to compare it to Marie Antoinette is that it's about someone who, about a woman who's kind of not giving a fuck. Right in this position of privilege and power and wealth, and but still has kind of she has this obligation and and, and a role, and people try and you know, talk about her husband. Essentially, seems to see her as a child, mm. you know, um, and she's kind of decided to not give a fuck. And the, you know, the thing about here is that it's also kind of reaching forty, and with her beauty, she she, she definitely kind of feels and knows that it's fading. Or it's no longer what it was, despite the fact she keeps she's seeking kind of reassurance about it and, and so on. But she is, you know, it's the thing pe- people say when they get older, that people just stop giving a fuck and they start feeling more free. And I think women in particular say that. You, you talk about people kind of 
society rendering people invisible as they get older. And I think, as you say, women kind of feel that very keenly. Um, and you do get women of, you know, quote, unquote, a certain age or middle age, whatever, saying, you know, that, that I think sometimes they feel it frees them up. I think that's kind of what you're seeing elements of in this character here. But basically what I'm saying is that every different way in which she interacts with someone or feels about someone is, is, is a variation on that central thing. I don't, uh, nothing surprised me about it. Nothing, I didn't feel anything was too originally interesting about it. I felt like I knew what every scene was going to be, you know? Mm. I didn't feel that way. Uh, and I thought it's one of those films that kind of um, grow cumulatively. Yeah, that like, you know, the sadness, the dissatisfaction, you know, kind of uh, convey something slightly different and richer as the film unfolds. So you say she doesn't give a fuck, but of course she does. You know, she didn't give a fuck. She wouldn't be eating a thin slice of orange a day, Mm. right? So she's obviously very keen on maintaining her figure, on maintaining, you know. um, But she is someone who, who, who really only responds to her children and her animals. So, you know, she's also a narcissist, yeah? But the unhappiness and the restrictions and her attempt to cut her hair, her her attempt to find other types of interests, you know, and eventually I think you have to read that last scene as a kind of suicide, right? Mm. Yeah, she... Well, she's talked about it before and, and when uh, Ludwig, is it, says, I forbid you from killing yourself in my lake, she says, well, I was thinking about the sea anyway and, of course, now she's on the sea. It's been set up to some degree. That's the last shot. So, so that's very interesting. So she finds her role so restrictive that she finds somebody else to take it over. She knows she won't be missed if the representation continues. Mm. She arranges for her husband, you know, to be with a nice woman who will be kind to him. Right? And then she kills herself, right? Yeah, in 1978, instead of being shot by yeah, the Italian in the... An Italian anarchist, yeah. Yeah. In 1998. Yeah, 30 years later or 20 years later or something. So, you know, kind of the only agency that this woman in the highest position in the land has is to kill herself, but Mm. only after she's found a replacement, right? Like a double. I mean, I think it's very interesting, actually, and I think it's intellectually interesting. I'd like to think about it some more, right? And I think the film does set it up kind of, you know, in really interesting ways. Uh, yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah, but it doesn't sell it to me while I'm watching it. I, you know, it it doesn't. I, I, and 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 you say, you know, it's not a great film, and and visually, so much more can be going on. I think it's a huge failure that it is so dull visually and so dull, kind of tonally as well. Like I get we're watching a depressed woman, mm. but I feel like more more can be happening in these scenes, or there could be some kind of spark or or energy that is just missing. Well, you know, the conflict that she creates could be more interesting than it is, could be more exciting than it is. I don't know. I mean, I think you're, you're asking for a different film. I because, guess I kind of am, but yeah. that's, just what it, that's, that's, yeah. what, that's how it be- took me. Because the longers, the sadness, the fog, the emptiness, the sparseness, that's what the film is about. Yeah. So if you're not into any of those things, then you're not going well, to it like didn't, it. Well, it didn't make you know? it, it didn't get into me here. That's mm. all I can say. You know, mm. that's, that, that's what it is. 
I mean, I spent most of the film thinking this is one of the more forgettable films I've seen this year. And, you know, three days before the end of the year, I found my least interesting film of the year. (laughs) (laughs) That is not true. But that's just fine. That's what it is. Yeah, I thought it was a very interesting film. I'm very glad it's made. It's really, I think, um, if nothing else, you know, for Vicky Creep's performance, I really think it's an extraordinary Mm. performance, really. And not just like, oh, what a good performance this week or this year, whatever. I mean, I think it is kind of a, yeah, a performance that should be legendary, really, in the years to come. So I think that's a reason uh, to see it. And I also think we rarely, I mean, maybe never, but I can't think of an instance now. I'm sure there are some, you know, but you rarely get um, a, a woman's view on something like this. I you know, an iconic figure on the verge of middle age and what that means, right? Mm. You know, so I think it's kind of uh, uh, interesting for all of these kinds of reasons, you know, and I would recommend, you know, that uh, people see it, though with the proviso that it's not kind of Indiana Jones levels of excitement. No, <laughs> no but it should be. I <laughs> no, should all <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. I think we, between us, we came up with an accurate assessment. We came, yeah, well, yeah. Well, it, for, for all the people who just couldn't really give a fuck, then you've got my side. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh.